Hi, everybody. Um, my name is Dion. I'm just thanking all of you for joining us today. Um, I am really excited because today we are going to talk about one of the most important subjects, one of the biggest um, subjects in our world today, because we're going to be talking about the subject of mental health. And uh, specifically today, we're going to be talking about fear and worry and anxiety and stress and how that affects us. Um, I know so many people are struggling with this. And of course, because of the current coronavirus pandemic, it really is just simply kind of making things worse. Uh, in fact, as I was looking into this, um, anxiety disorders are actually the most common mental illness in the United States right now that affects over 40 million people. Um, according to the World Health Organization, globally, one in 13 people um, are actually affected from anxiety. And to be clear, when we talk about anxiety and the kind of anxiety that we're looking at when it comes to the definition here is that it's a mental health disorder that is characterized by feelings of worry, feelings of anxiety or fear, um, things that are strong enough to inf interfere with a person's daily activities. And some of the symptoms can include uh, stress that's out of proportion for the impact of the event, um, inability to set aside worry and restlessness. And so when we talk about anxiety, what they're mentioning will also include things like general anxiety disorder, social anxiety, things we know as phobias, um, obsessive compulsive disorder, and even um, panic attacks and post-traumatic stress disorder. So as a church, we really do feel that it, it is really important for us to actually address this issue because fear in and of itself <clears throat> has evolved into its own pandemic that often leaves people feeling hopeless and defeated and even inside the Christian church. And so even if you don't suffer with anxiety personally, chances are you know somebody who does, um, maybe a husband a wife, our children, our friends, our neighbors. And if you know them, they, you could probably also see that you've also recognized that it, has, it can radically affect a person's life. It changes their outlook on life. It changes how they approach work, how they approach relationships. It can even affect physical health and our relationship with God. And so today, um, when we look around and we see how, how many people are affected by this, we just have a tendency to notice that not only does this affect adults, but including children and teens, we just simply, I don't know, we just simply lack the skills and the ability. We haven't really learned how to endure the trials of life and how to be able to overcome fear and worry and stress. And so the world has kind of brought us to a place where we've been taught we're just supposed to be happy. We're supposed to be happy all the time, even for Christians. And so the pursuit of happiness has become the end goal rather than the pursuit of God and faithful obedience to God. And in our effort to find hope and help and answers, we often end up diagnosed with a mental health disorder or a mental condition or a medical condition, um, whether we go to a doctor or whether we um, maybe go online and do some self-diagnosis with some of the tests that are available. Um, I, <laughs> I do have to share this with you guys. I, I've kind of been sharing this because I found this incredibly interesting. Um, <laughs> curiously, 
I went online to look up some of the um, self-assessment tests that we can do on our own, just to see what some of the basic questions were. And what I did discover is that there, out of all the sites that there are out there, the assessments really do vary from one site to another. And so the questions can be pretty basic from, you know, do you worry about uh, getting a job done or do you worry about finances, all the way to things as, as powerful as do you worry about dying, um, do you worry about, uh, does life seem unreal to you? So I thought, well, you know what, I'm going to try one. Um, I tried the one that didn't ask for personal information, like my email, <laughs> so I didn't get my email just absolutely uh, exploding with, you know, things coming in, and it was very simple, and it, it had that wide range of types of questions, and so I answered it truthfully, and so as I answered it, it gave an immediate assessment after I was done, and so as I answered, most of the time, my answers were sometimes, rarely, or never to the questions, and their assessment of me was that, yay, um, right now, according to their assessment, I, I don't really deal too much with anxiety, but actually, I have so little anxiety in my life that there's actually something wrong with me, um, <laughs> which I found to be unique and interesting. They actually told me that because I had so little anxiety that I was detached and disconnected, and that I needed to re-engage with the people in my life and make them more important. Um, so I, <laughs> I thought that was kind of unique. There's not something wrong with you, but there's something wrong with you. So I don't know, I'm a little dead inside or something. But we've got all this at our disposal. And so when we do these things, you know, we can end up being treated for a disease. Oftentimes, um, it's cited as a genetic or hereditary disorder, chemical imbalances in the brain, and sometimes um, even when we do go to a physician, the holistic, the entire person and how we live our lives is not necessarily something that is taken into, taken into account. Um, if we're prescribed medication, which clearly in some severe cases honestly may be necessary um, to get started when, when anxiety is so crippling that a person may need a little extra help, but counseling should always be part of the process. And sometimes, I've talked to many people, when they go to the doctor, they may be prescribed medication, but the doctor doesn't always refer them to counseling and being able to figure out how to work through their problems and really get to the source. Now, of course, the challenge with medication is that as it relieves symptoms, a person may not follow through with counseling because now they feel better, and then we may miss the opportunity to find out really where the source of our problem is. Sadly, even inside the Christian church, it is often taught that churches and pastors are not equipped to deal with mental health, separating the spiritual life from the physical and the mental life. And, you know, unfortunately, um, this can create some problems because what God tells us in his word um, in 2 Timothy is that all scripture is inspired by God. God gives us his word, um, which is completely sufficient for all things. See, God created the mind and the body, so this is totally inside of his wheelhouse. His word um, is sufficient, it's filled with instruction, it tells us what is wrong in our lives, it teaches us what is true, the kinds of changes that we need to make, so we've got all of this at our disposal to provide hope and healing for all matters of life. But if we have been trained to take our eyes off of God and to focus on ourselves, focus on our feelings, sadly many people end up suffering and then just spiraling out of control. So today, 
we're going to spend some time understanding fear on a biblical level. You know, learning that fear actually does have a purpose. There's a difference between good fear and bad fear and how we can have hope of overcoming anxiety by looking to God and his word for peace. The good news is that we know that God knows that we're going to face these problems. Um, the Bible actually addresses fear hundreds of times in both the Old and the New Testament. So we're also going to take a look at how to examine um, the common areas in our life, um, seeing some other, like I said, in a holistic view, and start learning how to put practical biblical steps into place that can be used anytime we start to feel like fear and anxiety may become an issue. But first we're going we're gonna to pause for just a second because um, we want to pray, and so if you would just join me in prayer, please. Heavenly Father, thank you so much that you truly understand what we go through um, in this life. Lord, we thank you that we can look to you for wisdom. We can look to you for understanding, for hope, and for healing, and that you don't withhold anything from us to be able to go through life, to face the trials and the anxieties and the worries and the cares of this life, while we can still at the same time maintain faithfulness to you. We can have control over these. We can take what we learn and help others the same way. So thank you that you are with us right now um, as you just show us what you have, have to tell us as we learn something new. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So as we begin, we want to really start with gaining that biblical understanding on the physical and the spiritual reality and truth about fear in and of itself. Um, first of all, what I really want to do is just kind of actually level the playing field because Let's face it, fear is real. Um, we know it's real. At some point, all of us in our lives have dealt with it on some level. Everyone is completely different. Um, what we know, what the Bible tells us, is that there are temptations in our lives. We all are going to be tempted with uh, days where we're high stress or high anxiety and fear and all of these things. Really is no different than what anybody else deals with. Um, but God is faithful. He will not allow us to um, the temptation to become more than what we can stand, but he always provides a way of escape so we can endure. And so with the biblical understanding of what fear is, we want to really kind of clarify what the Bible defines as fear and make sure we have a proper definition. And so the Bible, the way it defines fear is the word where we, the Greek word where we come from, phobia. Um, and so we're talking ranging from anywhere where it's timid, fearful, um, running away from something, all the way to the other side where it's really more of a reverential awe or um, to, for God to venerate, to um, obey out of reverential awe for him. Um, even with the words worry and anxious, it's to be troubled with cares, to look for something and promoting one's own interests, all the way down to concern, which is really more simple care, um, sometimes anxiety, but care about a person or a thing. Um, the Apostle Paul describes in, you know, in his own life the concern, the anxiety that he had for the churches, which is, which is proper. You know, setting up the churches, he had, care, he had concern for them to make sure that they were spiritually healthy and following God. But when we, when we look at this, the fact is, is that there are real dangers in this world. We look around our world and we're faced with crime, 
things like terrorism, illness, natural disasters, drunk drivers, our current coronavirus situation, um, even the financial outfall from what's going on right now. Um, but individually, some people have experienced some horrendous things personally, either physical or sexual abuse. Um, some men and women have seen, you know, been on the, the battle lines in war. Um, there's other forms of trauma that can really leave emotional scars for people. And um, although bad things have always been around, I mean, really since the beginning of time, um, this is nothing new. I, what's really interesting is our younger generation, especially those who have been, who were born just before and after 9-11, really have only known a world that's not only um, always in chaos, but it's uncertain, um, it's unpredictable, it's unsafe, and often, you know, the, the media and the social media just simply doesn't help because they're constantly pumping out all the negative and what's going on. And so without the proper tools to deal with it, we just simply can be tempted to focus on the negative until it absolutely takes over our lives. And so with a biblical understanding of fear, not only is it real, but we also have to recognize that it is an incredible spiritual battle. See, what goes on in our minds and what goes on around us, you know, remembering that we're not fighting against flesh and blood enemies, but against the evil rulers and authorities of the unseen world. There's this push and pull that's going on around us at all times, and, and it really can become a mental struggle. And the, so the mental health war will be fought and won in the heart as well as the mind. And apart from a real relationship with Christ, honestly, we're truly helpless to conquer this. But I do want to clarify one thing. Experiencing or struggling with anxiety and fear is not the thing that's going to keep us out of that is going to keep us out of heaven. It's what we do with it. It's how we choose to respond to it when we decide to let it run our lives. When we choose to not um, take care of our normal things. When we choose to sit in that moment and just even almost maybe wear it like a badge of honor that's when we really start crossing that line, how we respond to it, to God, and to other people. A neat thing um, in this, well, neat, yeah, I don't know, kind of in a weird way. I'm just a little weird this way. Um, even for Jesus Christ, you know, it was very, fear is real for him too. You know, in the Bible, we've got this incredible example that, you know, Jesus was completely and fully human. And I realize that sometimes it can be almost difficult to really let that sink in, in the reality that it was. But right before Jesus went to the cross, we see these pictures in these verses where um, he had an emotional struggle, he had even a physical response to the incredible fear that he felt right before he went to the cross. And so in Hebrews 5, it says that while he was here on earth, just before he went to the cross, he offered prayers and pleadings with a loud cry and tears to his heavenly father who could save him from death. And then, so we see this emotional response from him. And then again, even the physical manifestations, physiologically what can happen in Luke 22, it shows that while he is praying and he's asking God to take away the cup of suffering, that he's going to have to do this. He knows he's going to have to do this. He says, but I want your will to be done, not mine. But then it goes on to say the more he prayed, he prayed fervently, and the more he prayed, he was in such agony of spirit that his sweat fell to the ground like great drops of blood. 
Now, the research on this shows that this is actually some, a physiological response called hematidrosis. Um, it's a rare condition that can be related to our body's fight or flight um, response. It seems to be brought on by extreme distress or fear, such as facing death or torture or severe ongoing abuse. And what happens inside of the body is these tiny little blood vessels in the skin break open. And then the blood inside kind of gets squeezed out through the sweat gland. So this is a very real, well-documented um, uh, type of condition. You can go online, just Google sweating blood, and you'll can, you can bring that up. And so here we have this incredible example that although Jesus was the Son of God with all power and all authority, he was still fully human. He experienced the same things that we do. But our example is how he responded to fear and anxiety, which is not my will, but yours. Submitting to God's sovereign will, no matter what the path, knowing that he has a plan far greater than anything that we can comprehend, even in our own life. Um, and, you know, and I can, this is not a subject that is outside of the a realm of understanding for me. Um, I'm going to freely admit today has probably been one of the mo more stressful <laughs> days I've had in a while. Um, but actually, I'm keenly acquainted with fear and anxiety. It was interesting that as I was working on the message, God started really reminding me of how much I had actually struggled with it so much on various levels, and, and he has provided, I mean, I don't take any credit whatsoever for being able to overcome any of this. It is completely because of him and what he has taught me as, as I've grown to learn and understand and learn how to trust in him, but, but my story um, as a child Man, I struggled with fear so much. I was afraid of the dark. I was afraid of monsters under my bed and in the closet. I was afraid of demons. Um, I didn't sleep well as a child. In fact, it had gotten so bad that my mom actually had to take me to the pediatrician, and they had to give me a, um, something to make me sleep. Um, yeah, you know, drug the kid up, right? <laughs> when parents need sleep. Um, but the thing is, is that it was, it was that bad. I would wake up in the middle of the night screaming and just was terrified. And then, of course, growing up in L.A., I was taught to trust no one. There was always the potential of getting hurt somehow. Um, and this is actually kind of where I learned that fear can actually be taught if we're not really careful based on how we're taught how to view life. If you're taught that everyone's out to hurt you, your perspective is going to change. But see, this stayed with me long into my young adult life. And then after my husband and I got married, and our daughter Caitlin was born, um, we discovered she had disabilities. Uh, by the time she was about eight years old, we ended up going down to UCLA to the genetics lab to actually diagnose her with what, um, figure out what it was that we were dealing with. And so when she was diagnosed with what's called diploid-triploid mosaicism, it's just a very complicated word to say general disabilities, mental and physical, the geneticist told me something that was where I realized I had an issue. The geneticist told us that she would actually need to be on birth control because she would have the same normal sexual tendencies as any other adult. So... After Perry and I got into the car and we were headed home, I had a full-on panic attack um, the entire three-hour ride home. I was hyperventilating. 
I wanted to cry, but tears would not come out of my eyes. Um, we were talking about it, and my, my mind was just going crazy, visualizing, you know, how am I going to do this? How, you know, because it's like, it was almost like he stated it, like we would not have any control over this. She was going to be out doing crazy things, and it just freaked me out. And so that I had a physiological response to it. Um, it hit me out of the blue. Uh, I didn't, it was strange to me. I'd never had this happen before, and so I couldn't make it stop. I didn't know what to do. And the more I focused on what he had said, and the more I focused on what was happening to me, the worse it got. But Perry and I were um, new believers and just, you know, getting started here at Crossroads. And um, I was talking to God, you know, I'm praying in my mind. I'm like, Lord, what are we going to do? What are we going to do? What are we going to do? And so what ended up happening really was something that I would say probably nothing short of miraculous. Um, that still small voice, just kind of a thought, came into my head that made me realize I didn't have to believe the doctor. <laughs> I, first of all, Caitlin was eight, so we had time to kind of figure out a game plan. Um, and the truth was, was that God was in control. The doctor was not. The doctor, although very well-meaning, I mean, he's doing what he's trained to do. I'm not saying anything against him in any way, but he was giving me information based on his education, based on what he knew of how these things work. He was basing it on that, not God. And so that day, a lot of what the doctor told us, um, what we could expect about her future, some he was right about, much he wasn't. I cannot tell <laughs> not tell you this is not an issue for us praise God and believe me I prayed about it and I'm like Lord I don't know I can't tell you what to do but could you just make sure this never happens um, and praise God it's it's been fine but the thing is is that it wasn't that he was a bad doctor he just is, was not God and that's when I learned that Caitlin was going to be who God wanted her to be in every respect but that whole process of focusing on what was negative and then turning my thoughts to, you know, and having, listening for God's voice to tell me and trusting in him was the lesson. And, and it's a lesson that I still am learning to this day. Um, you know, when there's real reasons to worry about the path and the outcome are outside of my control and I start to stress, I have to remind myself, I got to get out of my head. I have to remind myself how faithful God is, how he has guided and protected us in the past and know that he will now. Um, you know, our, one of our more recent ones that I'm just still blown away is the earthquakes last year. You know, you just look around and how much God had protected us. And so when we have loving little reminders like we did last Sunday um, that they're still there, <laughs> I have to roll back in my head, we're okay. God's going to take care of us. So this is the biblical understanding of truth and a little bit of my journey that I'm sharing with you and everything that we're going to talk about today is what God has taught me and I'm just thrilled to be able to share this with all of you. Um, the neat thing too is that you know what in God's amazing design of each one of us um, the truth is is that fear actually has a purpose. It is really something that is good for us. He has put it inside of us the physical mechanisms to keep us safe 
physically and in other ways. The way we were designed, we have what's called a fight or flight response. Whatever you may call it, some people may want to call it a healthy fear, um, it keeps us safe. I have an incredibly healthy fear of scorpions. They're just ugly. I really see no purpose in them, but you know. Um, and any bug that I call an out-of-control bug, which means you don't know which direction they're going to go when they take off flying, because if it lands on my face, you just don't. It's going to be ugly, and it's, it's bad. So, um, but this fear is meant to keep us... <laughs> this fear is meant to keep us from harm. So hopefully, you know, in our minds, we know that the fear of... of um, Getting run over by a car keeps us from walking in front of one. Um, fear of going to jail keeps us from robbing a bank, hopefully. Um, preparing for the future, you know, looking at our world and, and how unstable it is right now, and especially for Christians, because we've got in God's word how he actually, um, how he tells us what the end times are going to be like. It, it's meant to motivate us to do the right thing. Prepare with food, money, emergency supplies, understand the need. And in fact, we're told that God says that a prudent person foresees danger and takes precautions. The simpleton goes on blindly and suffers the consequences. And so it's there because it motivates us to do the right thing. But not only does it do the right thing by providing for us physical our physical safety, but our spiritual safety. Because fear, proper fear keeps us in right standing with God. Now, am I suggesting that we should be scared of God? Eh, in a sense, yes, um, but not the way the world teaches. God is not a big bad guy who's out to get everyone, but he does hold our eternal future in his hands. God is sovereign. He is all-powerful. He, he, all he is eternal. He is holy. He is just. Um, and truly understanding this really is the foundation of knowledge and wisdom. Um, we are not to be afraid of those who, who want to harm us, either physically, um, emotionally, or any other way. It's like, that's not our fear, because they can't touch our soul. But we do need to fear or have awe, a, a respect, that knowledge that God has our soul in his hands. We need to fear only him who can destroy both soul and body in hell. And again, that is the foundation we see in Proverbs, of true knowledge. Um, this should motivate us towards God, not out of, oh, I don't want to go to hell, but really out of love. Um, in 1 John 4.18, we're told that no such love has no fear because perfect love expels all fear. Um, if we are fearful, we have not experienced his perfect love. And really what this is saying is that Perfect love is, comes from salvation in Christ. When we are secure in our eternity, when we know that we follow him faithfully to the best of our ability, um, we have that confidence. We have security there. And it compels us to love, obey, and serve him out of a grateful heart and reverential awe or fear of the Lord. Now, so then really our goal is not necessarily to be fear, uh, free of fearful feelings, but to know God to know his truth, and to know how to overcome those feelings of fear and anxiety with faithful obedience. Because whether we like it or not, fear, stress, worry, anxiety, they're all a part of life. Um, it doesn't have to stop us. It didn't stop Jesus from willingly sacrificing his life in a terrifyingly brutal way. So you and I 
can have the power of the Holy Spirit to control fear in our lives when we have that relationship with him. Now, there's a line sometimes that we can cross, and I think it's very important that we need to understand this because even knowing that fear is normal, what we're talking about is normal, and it will always be a part of life, there can be that moment where we cross the line, and fear keeps us from either being fruitful Christians or actually becomes a sin in itself. And so one of the things that we want to do is to allow, you know, to examine ourselves, allow God to examine our hearts, um, to try us, to test us, and know our anxious thoughts, to point out anything that we may need to change, where we need to grow, where we're not trusting in him. But we notice, too, that in Matthew, Jesus tells us that um, the seed or the, you know, God's word that fell among the thorns and which represent those who hear God's word, but all too quickly, the message is crowded out by the worries of this life. And this is when we become unfruitful. And so even as Christians, if we get to the point where we're, we're not serving, we're not volunteering anywhere, we're not taking risks, um, we're not doing things that God is asking us to do, if we refuse to m- remove sinful habits, in our lives, if we are willingly walking into relationships, friendships, dating relationships, or anything like that that we know are not good for us, um, if it comes to down to that we're um, paralyzed into inaction, or we turn to self-medicating like or escapism through alcohol, drugs, overeating, shopping, you know, this is when we've crossed that line into sin. Um, sometimes social anxiety even can quickly turn into sin when our desire for self-preservation outweighs our desire to serve and glorify God. So in a nutshell, we've seen that there's, there's a lot about this that we can learn from what the scriptures tell us and that this is, this is nothing new. Under, you know, this is something that's been around for a while and a lot of us experience and wrestle with this in very, various levels. So for the remainder of our time, we really want to spend time on how do we deal with this? What are we supposed to be doing? We're going to take a look at a um, holistic self-evaluation um, and learning how to apply. As we are seeking God's peace and joy, we're going to be looking at God's path for healing and, and the way to conquer feelings of fear and anxiety. And this is applicable for adults. We, uh, as parents, we can use it with our kids. Um, last week, Bill introduced this graphic, the holistic health. Um, which is really these pillars here, the physical, mental, relationships, finances, work, and family. This is throughout the series. We're going to continue seeing this because these are the areas that we are always going to want to really thoroughly investigate when we are um, struggling with emotional health things, you know, if whether it's anger or depression or anything else because this is where a lot of times we don't realize that there's something going on inside of us in other areas that are contributing factors to our mental health. And so the remainder of our time, we're going to actually talk about um, practical application. Um, If fear, worry, anxiety, and stress are controlling our lives and putting into place a biblical checklist or maybe almost even a formula, so to speak, um, to consistently work on is key. And we're doing this based on a portion of scripture that we often refer to as kind of like the mental health chapter in the Bible. It comes out of Philippians chapter 4. Um, and it is verses 6 through 9. We're going to take a look at that in its entirety, and then we're going to break it down. 
So the Apostle Paul does us this great favor of helping us out by giving us something to work with. We already know that the Bible is um, God's word. It is inspired by him, and it's useful to teach us in all things, and especially in this area. So Paul encourages us. He says, don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. Tell God what you need. Um, Tell God what you need and thank him for all that he has done. Then you will experience God's peace, which exceeds anything that we can understand. And his peace will guard your hearts and minds as you live in Christ Jesus. And now, dear brothers and sisters, one final thing. Fix your thoughts on what is true and honorable and right and pure and lovely and admirable. Think about things that are excellent and worthy of praise. Keep putting into practice all that you learned and received from me and everything you heard from me and saw me doing. Then the God of peace will be with you. And so we're going to break that down a little bit. Um, And if you remember, you know, we talked about the spiritual battle of all of this and that it's fought and won in the heart and the mind. And the heart is the the relationship, the salvation aspect of of making sure that we're in right relationship with God. And then the, the mental aspect of it is taking a look at taking a look at what Paul tells us in Philippians. So as we look at what's going on in our lives, we're going to take a look at this. As we're faced with a danger, whether it be real or perceived, he tells us, don't worry about anything. You might think, like, yeah, easier said than done. Yes, I know. (laughs) There are going to be times in life when we have every reason to be afraid. So I'm going to ask you, what is it that worries you the most? What is it that that you're afraid of? Is it, is it personal safety or is it safety for kids, family, you and your family? Um, do you fear death? Um, maybe you've got a big project coming up at work and maybe you have a fear of failure or in a relationship you have fear of rejection, um, saying or doing the wrong thing or maybe financial worries, you know, getting the bills paid, especially right now because I know so many people are struggling um, with work right now. So Paul tells us, don't worry about anything. But what he's really saying doesn't mean, ah, you know, you're silly if you're feeling, you know, if you're afraid of all of this. What he's really saying is just don't focus on it. Give your cares to God. Go to him, the one who can do something about it. See, part of the temptation and spiritual battle is that we tend to focus on the negative. We start formulating scenarios in our minds with details of possible, but likely unrealistic outcomes. And I will say, as hard as this may be to hear, that is a choice. I know because I'm a professional. (laughs) I have to work on this. And so this is a choice. And to choose this path, we can actually start a chain reaction of emotions and physiological reactions in the body. The mind is a powerful thing. The brain produces chemicals and hormones, adrenaline and cortisol, things like that, which increases the body's ability to respond. This is that fight or flight situation. Our heart rate can increase. We can start hyperventilating, sweating. We get dry mouth. We start shaking. All kinds of things can happen. And so when we've got a perceived danger or a real danger, this is kind of what can happen. But what we are told is that we have not been given a spirit of fear and timidity, but of power and of love and of self-discipline. And that we need to remember that to know what to do is a, and, and not do it is actually a sin. And this is where we come to a point of actual biblical practice. See, as Christians, 
God has given us the Holy Spirit. Keep in mind the idea of self, um, self-discipline from, from the Timothy verse. Um, God gives us his Holy Spirit. When we have a relationship with him, he gives us the ability to do what is needed in all circumstances. God is not going to tell us to do something or encourage us to do this without giving us the ability to do it. And so much of the hope and healing that we have with mental health issues comes from the practice of self-discipline. Christians, you know, we know our eternal future. That may be secure, but we don't, we don't have any crystal balls. We, can't, we don't know how things are going to turn out all the time. So we absolutely must walk in faith based, in tr- based on trusting God. So what are we required to do? What are we accountable for? What we're accountable for is to be faithful in our daily life, in all areas. We don't have to worry about the results. God's going to take care of that. What, what he wants us to do is faithfully obey in spite of how we feel, regardless of the circumstances. And it's honestly extremely rare that a person dealing with anxiety is incapable physically of accomplishing daily tasks. Um, most of the time we have the capability of doing it. It's just that we don't feel like doing it. And that's really where we kind of cross that line, too. So it's not necessarily um, an inability of doing what we know we need to, you know, dishes, going to work, taking a shower, things like that, reading our Bible, practicing godly love. Um, But it's usually a choice based on feelings. And so in this, with our biblical practice, what we need to do, because remember it says it is a sin to know what you ought to do but not do it, we need to commit to change do, control what you can. What can we control? Well, a lot of things, actually. Um, how we eat, how we sleep, the things that we look at, all kinds of stuff. Control what we can, change what we know we can or should change. Um, <laughs> I'm almost, I can't say I'm ashamed to say this, but, you know. Um, we were watching Disney's Frozen 2 the other day. And honestly enough, out of the blue came this really great quote that actually fit um, for the message. It says, when one can see no future at all, all one can do is the next right thing. And oddly enough, that's actually really good (laughs) advice. Um, We need to make right choices and do the right thing, because that is what God holds us accountable for. So when we're talking about changing what we can, and we remember back to the holistic um, uh, temple, the holistic slide where all the different um, areas is taking a look at few of the things that we know can contribute to problems with anxiety, our physical life, our relational life, our financial life. And often there are other contributing factors to our mental health. Um, Often, sadly, our fears and worries are self-induced in many ways. Our diet, our exercise and sleep habits, um, if we are drinking too much caffeine, nicotine, alcohol, sugar, drugs, um, we're going to maybe feel anxious or agitated. Exercise has been proven to boost mood-elevating hormones in the body. Even some medications for things like asthma, steroids, uh, like prednisone, some cold medications can often cause feelings of agitation and nervousness and anxiety. And even some medical conditions like Parkinson's disease, thyroid disease, um, certain vitamin deficiencies can all contribute as well. Um, So just kind of taking a look and examining how we're taking care of our bodies. You know, what what are we, you know, are we staying up up late at night, you know, binge watching Game of Thrones or something that we shouldn't be watching? You know, just keeping things like that in mind. Um, 
So that's kind of the physical aspect of it. When it comes to the next portion um, of the of the verse, we're talking about um, the we're talking about the instead portion uh, or the relationships. Yeah, instead portion inside or inside of our relationships. You know, just knowing that we can't we can't control people, um, but we can control our part in relationships. So as we take a look at the relationships around us, if we're experiencing incredible anxiety inside of any of our relationships, you know, is there something that we are doing? How are we investing inside of it? What is our attitude and our behavior? And really just taking a look at who we're spending time with and how they actually invest and impact us. Um, Romans 12 tells us that we are to do all that we can to live in peace with everyone. So again, it's a matter of making sure, knowing that we're doing the right thing. Control what we can control. I can control how I behave. I can't control how anyone else does as much as I would love to. I haven't yet figured that one out. But <laughs> I know that God tells us we can, be, we can be at peace with people as much as it is possible with us. Um, don't be fooled. This is great for kids. You know, don't be fooled by those um, who say, you know, say such things. Bad company corrupts good character. Oh, my goodness. Checking out who, who we're hanging out with. Um, a lot of us have that person in our life who is the negative Nelly, um, the downer, the person who, you know, every time you walk away from spending time with them, you just feel like you want to go cry in the corner or something. You know, we may need <laughs> to limit our time with them, um, at least until we're spiritually strong enough maybe that we can help them out a little bit. Um, so just a quick snippet there on relationships. In our work life, really, this is just very simple, just making sure that we're, we are working to the best of our ability. You know, this was something that um, God taught me years ago. I'm not saying that I did well at it, but I used to quote this verse every single morning when I was driving into work. I'm working for God, not for people. Working for God, not for people. It should completely change our perspective, um, especially as Christians, that how we interact with our coworkers, our attitude about work, doing the best that we can, is really that we're serving God. We're, we're, it's a testimony in our workplace um, as well. And so this is just um, a huge testimony to the world when we talk about examining our work life. Because sometimes there's a lot of people that I know when they know when they're driving into work the minute they hit the parking lot their heart is racing their mind starts worrying they're hoping they don't run into this person or that person it really doesn't need to be that way we can have a game plan of how we do that and part of that it may just simply be remembering it's like you know what I am here because I'm serving God and God has given me this job and I'm going to do the best that I can with that the next thing very quickly is financial you know, a lot of us um, struggle financially, and some people really, you know, they're great at budgeting their finances. Um, don't want to really spend a lot of time on this, but simply just remembering that, you know, if we're making bad financial decisions, um, if we're in debt, if all of our credit cards are maxed out, um, if we're spending money on things that we don't need, and I know that right now there's a lot of people who are not working even more important to be able to kind of sit down and do a budget. Um, looking at, looking at um, that, you know, are we giving to the, are we tithing? Are we, are we um, contributing to God's work elsewhere or whatever the case may be? You know, it's, God is very clear about how he wants us to handle our finances. 
And not only that, but we also see that Jesus tells us that we're not to worry about, you know, what we're going to have for dinner, you know, where we're going to get a next meal, um, what we're going to be wearing, our clothing, and these things. It says that when we focus on this, when our sole goal is just constantly concerned about the financial issues, it says that those are the things that dominate the thoughts of unbelievers. And it's not that believers don't worry about finances. It's just that it's the attitude behind that intense focus is I'm worried about taking care of myself. I'm not placing my trust in God. And Jesus is just reminding us that if we seek the kingdom of God first, if our first and foremost goal is working on our relationship with him and living righteously before God, he will supply our needs. He knows what we need, and he's going to take care of that. And so then at that point, when we know that we are doing what we can and doing what we know that we should to the best of our ability in each area, we can know that we are pleasing God, which brings a a sense of peace in our heart, um, regardless of the circumstances that are going on around us. So as we finish that part, we go into the next section of the Philippians 4 scripture. We talk about praying with thanksgiving. You know, we can tell God and ask him for what we need, but instead of constantly begging him for help and worrying that he's going to show up and do what we need him to do, We need to make our needs known, but thank him that he will. Thank him that he will show us the way in the situation, that he will help us with our decisions. He will give us the physical and mental strength and the resources and the time that we need. Thank him that he will give us wisdom for the circumstance and the power to control our feelings. We're we're absolutely... um, you know, we can ask God for wisdom. He will give it to us generously. Um, And not only that, but there's a little bit of an aspect in here, too, where we can thank him for creating us the way that he did. You know, what's interesting to note in this is that sometimes when it comes to some of the emotional things that we wrestle with, whether it's fear or anxiety or depression or anger, sometimes it's a simple personality trait. Um, God has designed each one of us exactly the way he wants us, and some of us struggle with certain things more than others. And so we don't want to make that an excuse to run away with bad behavior, but just understanding how our personality is, um, understanding that he has allowed certain experiences in our lives. Um, We are complex creatures. We have been wonderfully um, made and how God has designed us. And we can also take heart in knowing that we, when we do run into problems and trials, that God isn't going to waste those painful circumstances. His only goal for allowing or even ordaining a, a situation in our life that may bring in fear or worry or stress is that his desire is to develop endurance, to help us grow so we can have strength of character and so that we, again, as we grow, we become a testimony to the world. So rather than, than focusing on the negative, looking at our, thanking him for per, our personality, our character, our talents, our life experiences, um, even our health, rather than seeing them as shortcomings, thank him for the way that they've shaped us and prepared us for future tests and trials and to be able to help others going through the same thing. And so now we come to the point of where the section of Scripture says that we are to think about things that are excellent and worthy of praise. And this is more about the mental portion of it. Um, You know, it takes intentional practice to focus on the right things. And like I've mentioned before, I have to work on this all the time. 
Um, it's very easy for me to get inside of my head and start having conversations and playing scenarios in the what if game. And so I have to do all of this stuff um, constantly, constant evaluation. This is really a mental shift that is meant to redirect our thoughts towards what is true about God and his work rather than what is wrong. But our main motivation for doing this is not just to help ourselves, but to also not sin in our thought life against God. Jesus in Matthew tells us that our eye is like a lamp that provides light for our body. When our eye is healthy, our whole body is filled with light. But when our eye is unhealthy, our whole body is filled with darkness. And this really comes with the lamp is what do we look at? What we look at exposes us to things that can have drastic effects. And so when we're talking about fixing our thoughts and focusing intently, the question is, is what, what do you focus intently on? Are you focusing on the problems, real problems, perceived problems? Are you focusing on the feelings themselves? Um, think about even what you watch on TV, um, especially right now. A lot of us are at home a lot more. How many hours are we putting in watching television and social media? Um, I'm hearing stories about people who are doing nothing but Netflix and chilling right now, and actually, oddly enough, they're losing sleep. Not necessarily because they're staying up late, but just because of the effect that it's having. They've already done studies that show that screen time affects sleep cycles. But when we're talking about even things like cyberbullying, you know, one of the common factors is for kids, you know, if they're being bullied online, they keep going back to it, they go back to it, they go back to it. Hide the posts, unfriend them, you know, delete it from, delete it from the computer, you know, just get rid of it. Um, here's an interesting, interesting little um, tidbit. Uh, I went online to find the social media anxiety connection. They're doing a lot of studies right now. In fact, the, um, the link that I went to is www.sciencedirect.com. Um, they have a science article in there, and I can put this on our website because I forgot to put this up. But the studies that they're doing, and they're kind of in the preliminary stages, is that they're, they're finding that compulsive media use significantly triggered social media fatigue, which later resulted in an elevated anxiety and depression levels. Also, they noted, interestingly enough, that um, the more platforms people use on social media, so the more you're doing on social media, like Facebook, YouTube, Instagram, TikTok, whatever else is out there, um, increases rates of depression and anxiety. They're seeing this so much that they're going to start doing further research on this to start taking a look at it. Now, the, <laughs> the challenge for us is that when it comes to social media and online resources right now in our society, because we're not allowed to go anywhere, um, we're more vulnerable because it's our primary method of staying connected with other people. It's how we're working. It's how our kids are doing school. It's how we're doing Bible study. It's how we're socializing. And so, unfortunately, we're also kind of putting ourselves in that position um, out of necessity. So in that, really, the suggestion and the... Um, the uh, recommendation is that we still need to monitor our time. We need to limit our time spent with the electronics. You know, maybe put a, a curfew on our family, you know, for electronics time or however that may look, just so that we can make sure that we're staying healthy there. 
And so finally, as we close, um, we've got one final area that, to, um, that we're going to be looking at, and that is the practice part of it. You know, the one thing that Paul says at the end of the Philippians scripture is that we are to practice doing these things. And that's one of the things that I think many people, and I know for myself, for a lot of years, I struggled with because I didn't realize that this part was like, this was my work. I had work to do. It was my responsibility to check all of these areas, and it was my responsibility to be consistent with them. God wasn't going to sprinkle magic fairy dust over my life and just poof all the bad feelings away. I actually had to do something about it. And so it's called practice. And so it says to keep putting into practice the things that we've learned and received. Everything we heard from him, saw him doing, then, then the God of peace will be with us. And so Jesus tells us that he gives us his peace. His peace isn't hinged upon circumstances. We already know that. When he was sweating drops of blood in the garden, although he was having an emotional and physiological response, he still had peace. He still had joy because he was looking past the circumstance to the eternal outcome. He was going back to heaven. He was also giving every single one of us an opportunity to be able to do the same. And really, that's where our source of peace is so much more important. So he tells us, he leaves us with a gift, peace of mind and heart. And the peace that he gives is a gift that the world can't give because the world doesn't understand godly peace. The world tells us that peace comes through having enough money, looking the right way, having the right kind of friends, the right kind of cars, and whatever the circumstances, that's worldly peace. And that's not what Jesus is talking about. So he says, don't be troubled or afraid. We have the peace that only he can give. And he tells us this so that we can have that peace in him, because he tells us right here, we will have many trials and sorrows. Don't be surprised, people. It's, life is hard. <laughs> but he says we can take heart because he has overcome the world, and the power that rose him from the grave is in us. And so we need to understand that God can give us the ability to do this. And practice, again, is the key. This is not a directive to pray and wait around hoping for change. Change comes with action, and it's our actions of doing what we know God wants us to do every single day. And this is actually a response to a loving God who offers hope and peace, not a manipulation tactic like, God, I did all the right things. Now you got to give me all the good stuff. It doesn't work that way. Um, it's because he has done for us what he has done. Our depend, you know, this is not about depending on ourselves. And so we've got to go back now to what we're talking about, merging the mental, physical, and spiritual nature of our lives because he is God of all of it. And over time, as we practice serving God, as we practice serving our others, um, demonstrating biblical love, diligently working, making a financial budget, working on our health, maintaining our devotional life, spending quality time with God each day. As we do this, we will discover that the feelings will change. Then the God of peace will be with us. And just so that you folks know, um, we are here to help. We want to make sure you understand that I know that maybe we can't meet here at the church, but we are just a phone call away um, we've got the text phone. In fact, um, we'll be showing that, but the number is 760-301-4840. You are free to call or text on that phone, and we would be more than happy to talk to you guys if you're struggling with anyone 
or have someone that you love that you know who is. Would you please join me in prayer? Heavenly Father, um, we just thank you again so much that you give us hope and promise in an area that can be so debilitating for so many people. Lord, thank you that you give us what we need to love you and to follow you and to serve you, um, that you don't leave us alone, that you are with us always, and that we can trust in you, especially in the face of what's going on in our world today. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.